Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Nancy Duarte. Nancy is a communication expert who's been featured in many news outlets, including Fortune, Forbes, Fast Company, and the Wall Street Journal. Her firm, Duarte Inc., is the global leader behind some of the most influential visual messages in business and culture. As a persuasion expert, she cracked the code for effectively incorporating story patterns into business communications. She's written five best-selling books and four have won awards. In 2017, Nancy was named number one on the list of world's top 30 communication professionals. Her TEDx talk has had over a million views. Nancy, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. Oh, thanks for having me, Ursula. So tell me, I mean, you've written a couple of books, you've been, you've spoke, done a lot of speaking and, and you have this thriving business. Tell, tell us how you came to this work that you're doing now and, and why is it important to you? You know, I, I feel like I always wanted to speak or I always had some sort of message in me that I felt like needed to get out. And then I <laughs> I took speech communications in college and got a C minus uh, and I got a D in English. Right? Which, which just goes to like, show you. <laughs> I know. It felt like for me, it felt like, you know, that scene from Scarlet Letter where she, you know, had this very public failure. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I had to kind of get over that um, for starters. But I. In a way, the presentation industry kind of found me. Um, I didn't necessarily pursue it. So my husband actually started the business as a technical illustration company. I was very pregnant, uh, very mad at him, thinking this was a stupid idea. And I told him, I said, look, you can keep this company if I can sell it. But if I can't sell it, you got to go get yourself a real job. (laughs) You know how angry (laughs) we are when we're pregnant? Yeah. And so I... um, I actually did sell it, um, his wares, and we actually got niched in the presentation space because Apple was our first client. Wow. And they were the first to hook up a computer to a projector at scale. I mean, that sounds so weird, but it was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it, from there, it just snowballed because in 92, Apple had a layoff, and every all my people at, all, at my Apple account scattered across the valley like beautiful seeds and planted our services at other companies. So it, it's weird. I mean, when you look at when you look at someone who serves a niche so well, you would think I set out to pursue it. But in reality, it kind of happened to me. And um, I think that's what happens when you declare a passion or you say, this is what I love. It it comes to you, you know, mm-hmm. um, oddly. So that was kind of a long answer to a very simple question. But 
it's no. a, it's been a journey. Yeah. And then same story, like love, love presentations, love slides, loved visual thinking. Um, and then when we decided to move into storytelling, I, I committed three and a half years full-time studying story. And now um, I'm as passionate, if not more, of that, about that as I have been presenting. So it's like a journey where you add new little insights, you know, yeah. it's like life. Well, know? tell us how the storytelling aspect is woven in or, or is it, is it separate or how do, how do you see the two integrating? Yeah. So for a long time, we would revisualize your deck and we didn't really do um, the content as much. We had a couple content developers, but people really knew us as like a design firm, a visualization firm. And I realized that um, we needed to have a better seat at the table. And so I literally hired a president to run the company 2006. And I went on a journey of my own soul. I was like, well, what do I do if I'm not running the company? <laughs> you know, right. and I decided to, um, I just, I made a strategic decision that my company needs to be incorporating storytelling into presenting because people were bored. People were mad at most presentations. They felt like they were a life suck. In fact, that was mm -hmm. when the articles were coming out that said presentations are evil and I knew they were, I knew they were not evil like it you know you would be hard pressed to point to a movement that didn't start with an impassioned plea with verbal a verbal exchange you right. know and I just feel like the power of the spoken word was so amazing yet it was being done so poorly that I felt like something needed to be done about it so we well, definitely folded storytelling into our creative process, and it's been life. It's been life changing. It mm -hmm. really has been for my staff and our customers. Well, and it's so powerful, and it has the op it has the potential to not just inform and enlighten, but to transform. Really, it does. And so at, at the root of storytelling it is about transformation humans love story because we have, we love observing someone else change so we're like oh i like this person oh my gosh they're going through this terrible thing an alien is attacking them but they <laughs> change you know they then they emerge transform as the third act and we like to see how people deal with issues and how they resolve them and that's the power of story so if you're driving transformation in your organization or or needing to transform someone in a one-on-one -on -one, connecting them to story a story is the most powerful transformative tool you could use in communication. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see. Uh, I mean, I know in in uh, one of your books you talk about how you can really bring people along in a process of. I mean, you actually map how the stories affect the rhythm mm -hmm. of the talk and and mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, have Have you found that? Um, I mean, how do you, how's your impact changed as a personally and as a company with this focus on storytelling? How's that shifted? You know, what's so interesting is um, they can hook fMRI machines up to the brain and actually watch what the brain is doing while right. while we're listening to stories. And I think it just validates everything. I feel like I knew when I dive dove into it and story. Stories are a bonding device. They're a persuasion, a persuasive device, and a bonding device. So we we have been, I think it's been five, maybe it's even six years, we've been doing an internal event called Speak Up. And we have our own employees 
tell an eight minute personal story. And I got to say, Ursula, it is the most unbelievable thing. Like they will get up and really expose their soul in a way like people are crying. People are laughing because they're crying so hard. People get the chills. Every single thing we say happens in storytelling happens at this very personal practice. I would almost call it a sacred event. We don't let outsiders in. Mm -hmm. We don't broadcast it. We don't send it out of house. And the bonding that happens, the unbelievable sense of I was in the room when it happened. Mm -hmm. It's pretty unparalleled. So internally, it's so funny. I hired a consultant to come in and, and help with efficiencies. Like, how do we run a meeting? How do we do? And his observation was, they guys, you guys waste a lot of time telling stories. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I said, I because one of my gals was explaining the situation. She picked up her computer as a prop. She hid behind it. Like, she acted out the whole story. And I said, you know, you can find a lot of efficiencies here in other places, but it's the stories that that bond us together. Right. And so it was so funny because I, he was like, well, that was a long story. And I'm like, I loved it. I said, I was charmed. It was the highlight of my whole day was watching her act out this story. <laughs> and so it, it, and I'm not saying storytelling is inefficient by any means, but it's so systemic now, just the way we communicate with each other is wrapped in story. So we've gotten reports, like it was in the Wall Street Journal that one of our clients that applied our story a persuasive story methodology made 750 million more dollars one year. Another client said they made a half a billion more dollars. Wow. Nonprofits, nonprofits have gotten traction. They're saving the world. Like we have a, a we have a team of 60 nonprofits in the office today learning the methodology. Every year, this same nonprofit puts their um, their nonprofits through it because it's making such a radical change in how they communicate. So, I mean, that sounds kind of like a commercial. Now, I didn't mean to, but I guess what I'm saying is. If people apply the fundamental principles of storytelling to their everyday communication, it'll change people. I get people that are like, I was a manager and I became a director and a VP in six months wow. only because they changed how they communicate. Wow. So I, I would say that, yeah, it's had a really radical effect yeah. on us. We actually call our building the story place. Like it's oh. like a story place. So it's kind of weird. It's just gone systemic. <laughs> well, I, I, I know what you mean about stories being so powerful. I did a actually a speaking workshop in March and the six of us in the room were so bonded by the end of that experience because the the workshop was all about telling personal stories and it's it is and it's so powerful and having lived through corporate you know powerpoint powerpoint presentations where you're just barely struggling to stay awake it's the contrast is startling and it's uh, i mean it's an incredibly powerful way yeah. to approach sharing ideas yeah, and I th I think what's weird to me is people compartmentalize their lives. Like, oh, stories are not for work. Stories for the dinner table. Mm -hmm. Story is for around the campfire, but story is never for work. Well, people like to feel at work. There's a real void of meaning in people's lives today. So they're trying to find meaning at work. And you can actually fold in stories about why your company exists. Why do I exist? Why do I find meaning in the work I do? How do I find meaning in the work I do? And all of that can be wrapped in story. And it makes people excited to get up out of bed and have purpose when they come in to do their job, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, and you've really woven this whole knowing what you know about storytelling into within the business as well as outside of it, which is amazing. How yeah. How is your... How have your values maybe shifted and changed as you've learned this, or have they remained consistent? I, I always ask people about this That's because 
I think impact is so dependent or it's founded in whatever it is you hold dear, whatever you see is important, whether you're conscious of it or not. So I'm intrigued to hear how has your, your knowledge of, of, uh, value storytelling, how has that crept into your values or has it not really changed things? You know, I love this question. Nobody's ever asked me that. And I think I have a great answer. <laughs> um, yeah. So what's interesting is we've, I think, somewhat possibly had storytelling here. And it, and I may have just kind of codified it or opened it up. So for years, I would say, hey, here's our values. We had um, um, a set of values. And I would tell about every two years, I would say, here's the value. And here's the origin story of that value. The reason we have this value is because this, this, this happened. Oh my God, isn't that crazy? And that established this as our value, right? Mm -hmm. So I always connected the stories to our values. But what happened that's interesting is we, we have a, a, a bit of a ceremony that happened here for years and years where um, we had a, a token. Um, someone picked it up at Costco, this random giraffe. And they started this ceremony where you would um, affirm people or thank people and you'd pass a giraffe and say, hey, uh, Susie stayed late with me and jumped in the foxhole with me and I'm going to pass a giraffe just to honor honor people who exemplified the values. Mm -hmm. So we went through a really difficult season about two and a half years ago to the point where I actually had to step back in as president. I'd been CEO for a while and I had to step back in. And I was traveling with an employee and I was like, what's a herd of giraffes called? And I, he was like, I don't know. And I'm like, I don't know either. So I looked it up and it's called a tower. Mm. And a tower is such a symbol of refuge and strength to me that I thought that was really beautiful. Yet we'd been passing a giraffe for years and years and years. So what we did is we, um, I was like, you know what? I need to go back into our values and realign them. So I thought about when was the last time my company had gone through as difficult of a time? And that was during the dot-com crash. Mm -hmm. And so what I did is I literally... I went to my file cabinet and said, what were my stated values back then when we were going through this really difficult time? And I found the actual presentation I had delivered on our values. And what was interesting about that is there was about eight of them and three of them literally, like literally it felt like they were burning on the page. Like I don't even know how to explain it because I was like, those values are still true. Mm. I mean, they were all still true, but I knew I needed to pluck those values out and re-amplify them. And so we did, we came up with the four core values and our four core operating principles. And then I wrapped, it's a beautiful model. And then I wrapped um, storytelling around the whole thing and told stories around each one. Would you so share what those values are? Yeah, actually, believe it or not, I when I wrote them, I didn't realize it. But if you're familiar with my material, I say that every pre presentation needs to end with the new bliss, um, where you state how the world is going to be with your idea adopted. So bl bliss is an important thing. Well, they have, are an acronym for bliss, which was unexpected. I didn't even notice it. One of my content guys did. So it's belong, lead, innovate, and serve. And that's the, the model. Because if you create a place of belonging, it it, it makes you different and better mm -hmm. and it's family. Even people that leave are still alumni and come to all our parties and we're a place where people belong and, and we want to lead. We want to lead and drive the industry and, and we innovate and then we serve each other, serve our clients, serve the community, serve the world. Mm -hmm. So serving, you have to be humble to consider yourself a servant of all and, um, and so serve is key, key, key to everything. 
Yeah. Are those consistent with your personal values? I know you talked about the company's values, but I'm interested to hear. I do think so. So there, it it actually makes a really lovely uh, Venn diagram where the, the, um, the four operating principles dovetail and then the values appear, but then at the very middle where everything aligns is empathy. So at the very, very core, no matter what we're doing, it has to be from a stance of empathy. And I would say all my materials and my life journey has been a quest for empathy, clawing at empathy, trying to understand things from someone else's perspective, trying to see things through their eyes doesn't come naturally for me. So that has been my personal story, my personal story at struggle. Like I'll blurt something out like, you know, if someone's mom just died, I'll blurt something stupid out, not even remembering that they just told me their mom just died or something. Like, I just don't mm-hmm. think. I don't think before I talk. And so, and I, I, I and it's held me back. Um, and so, that's where I'm, that's a bad example, but I think you get what I mean. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. And so, I think um, empathy is at the very center of the dial and everything kind of spurs off of that. The thing that's missing in there for me, which maybe falls under serve, is um, generosity. Uh, it falls under serve and lead because one of the things that we decided to do is we were going to lead by being generous with our expertise. And I think my husband and I, our primary values, we, we did this values thing, are generosity and relationship. So, if you look at generosity and relationship as a core value in a marriage, that means that you are um, relational, you serve, you, it's about others, it's about making others better, um, and all of that stuff. So yes, I would say they are an expression of our personal values. That was our super long answer. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, I think this is a wonderful uh, way to explore impact and how to really get at what's what's behind having the effect that you have, the positive contribution that you make. And I, I think that values are so integral to that, that it's really worthy of, of exploration. So yeah, it, it, is this something that you've, I, I know you've had this company for quite a while and it's, it's gone through um, some iterations. Is it something mm-hmm. that you had at the start of your career, this kind of focus on, um, you know, the, the, the four values that you mentioned, belong, lead, innovate, and serve. Is that something that's evolved over time or have you felt this all along in your career? I would say that early in my career, I never would have put lead in there. Hmm. Um, we set as a goal in 2005 to be the global leader in presentations. It was a goal. And and I had people challenge me that worked for me. They were like, well, that that's a claim that you, you'll you never hit, you'll never make, you'll never, I mean, they were just like, why would you set that as a goal? Or, you know, it was interesting. And, and I wouldn't say I could claim that as a value until we started to see, <clears throat> because lead, leading through generous um, expertise by being generous with our expertise, expertise is what actually made us lead. It was from a humble stance. It wasn't from a, um, we're going to lead and be awesome and egotistical and prima donna about it. That was, right. that's not the underlying current of the whole thing. So I would say that one got added only after I felt like we could make that claim, but still be humble about it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that it's so much part of, um, you know, I think there's been so much talked about in companies uh, around uh, how do you build a brand? How do you 
really grow as a business. And that generosity, it's kind of at the heart of content marketing, for example, where you're generously mm-hmm. sharing all kinds of free content in order to build your brand. And it, it becomes part of what makes you a leader in that particular realm. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think that, uh, that absolutely makes sense. Is in the course of what you've done, you said you, you took some time to really, um, have, have a journey of the soul. And how, how has your use of time and energy shifted as a result of that? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I what was interesting is I brought in a president and I had to be like, how am I going to spend my time? And I knew there was this new thing called the blog and Google was brand new. And so I Googled like presentation blog. <laughs> like <laughs> I knew I needed to do something and leave a mark and take what I'd learned. And, and, and I, I don't know, I was just kind of overwhelmed by the opportunity of what to do next. And interestingly, I was at a TED event in San Francisco and this woman showed up in this beautiful sari, just this Indian woman. It's like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, well, what do you do? And she's like, well, I'm organizing a tour of India with a bunch of um, executive women. And I'm like, sign me up because I'd had a note to myself on my desk that I'd moved around for a couple years that just said, go to India. It was a piece of paper, go to India because I, I wasn't clear on when outsourcing would impact my business. I was hearing that McKinsey and HP and all these other people were outsourcing their presentations out there. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I need to understand this place where outsourcing is happening. But the unexpected surprise for me is the sisterhood that happened on this bus with these power. I was like the token bootstrap entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) The women were like, top venture capitalists on the boards at public, massive public companies here in the Valley. I mean, it was just like I was so honored I'm bumbling around this bus saying hey I think I might write a book hey I think and and it's just a hen house and they were like you need to do this and you shouldn't do that and behave like that and be like that or don't do we just turned into this like amazing like I don't know I think that we're all type a and I wasn't expecting to come out of it with friendships and they've been with me they have walked with me Mm -hmm. as my business has grown as I've shifted strategies and so we've been around for 30 years and my firm has been through eight reinventions which is fascinating to me because the U.S. Bureau of Statistics says that most small businesses fail at four years in. Mm -hmm. So the fact that my own business went through reinvention almost consistently every four years may be one of the reasons that I'm still alive. Mm -hmm. And these amazing women have been with me through each reinvention, validating, questioning it, poking at it. And it's been really unbelievable. And it it also, like if you had told me that that would shift, I was going to go from an entrepreneur to a deep and thoughtful writer, thought leader person, I never would have believed you Mm -hmm. because the process of being an entrepreneur is kind of neurotic. It's like, it's neurotic. You're a plate spinner. You're a, you have to, I had to let go of so much stuff. I hired someone to pull job descriptions off of me. He would observe me and be like, you need to stop doing all the visual concepting. And so he wrote this whole concept director position or whatever. <laughs> I would take this job description home with me and I would mourn the loss of that task because right. entre- entrepreneurs are really good at a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I would actually mourn the loss because I knew if I didn't let it go thoroughly and completely, I wouldn't set the next person up to be successful. So I had to pull a lot of stuff off of me so I could spend my time doing only tasks that energize me. And so like I just got on the other side of moving the company and I would rather peel my fingernails back or have actually someone pluck my fingernails out than do <laughs> and do then move a company right and so it's been so nice the last couple of days my assistant blocked about four hour blocks for me to just think and me to just think about the role that 
the role that stories play in data. Oh my God, I get to sit and think about storytelling with data or whatever. And so it's been, right. I, it just energizes me. I feel like I've truly lived when I create something new. And each day I wake up the next day and if I don't do that and I've decided where a copy machine goes in the floor plan, <laughs> that just doesn't energize me. <laughs> so it's been fun. Yeah. Well, I, I I wanted to respond to what you said about you and this group of executive women and on your trip to India. I, you can totally hold your own with any high-powered group. So uh, I've seen you in action. So I just wanted to acknowledge that you're being very uh, humble about that. I was definitely one of the louder hens in the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you make a really important point about mourning the loss of tasks, because one of the things that entrepreneurs find so difficult is to give up what you've struggled so hard yeah. to be, to create, to be part of. And yeah. even though these tasks are not at all energizing and, and you may even be bad at them, it's still hard to give them up because it feels part of that larger package of this, this creation. So I, I think that's a really valuable thing to be intentional about yeah. mourning the loss of them in order to be able to focus on energizing things. There's so much written about, yes, drop everything else and only focus on stuff that you're great at, but nobody talks about how. And I think that that's a valuable thing to consider. Yeah. How, how have you, um, I mean, one of the things that is, you know, growing a company and especially if it's successful, well, even in other, even, even if it's not, you're, you're so busy, you're so engaged in the day to day. How have you found that you've been able to manage and maintain your energy through all of that? What do you have practices that you do or is, is yeah. there an overall approach? Well, I know people like my receptionist, she helped with the move and she's like, do you have hobbies? Because <laughs> it <laughs> looks like all I do is work. Right. I, I really enjoy research and reading. I read and listen to books just and podcasts. I'm just voracious and it feeds me. Um, I hike um, and I clear my head. So what I do is I'll hike. There's this, there's about 70 minutes in, my brain is just firing. I have solved, I'm just telling you right now, in my head, I have solved every world problem in my head on a hike, right? <laughs> it's just firing. I mean, my brain starts to go, well, what about this? How would you do that? If you were the queen of the whole world, what would you do? Right. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and it's just going and going and going. And then I, my body gets to this weird point of exhaustion where my brain finally, it must starve my brain of blood or something, <laughs> where my brain finally quiets down and there's this peace and calm. So what I love to do is to read and study for a while, try to solve a problem, and then I go on a walk. And suddenly on the walk, all, all the little pieces fall together. By taking that little break, all the pieces fall together, and then I can come back and, and put the little puzzle pieces together in a new body of work I'm working on. So energizes me like a freak. I also, <laughs> um, I also my, my assistant's very good at protecting my time. Pe people have this illusion I'm super busy, but what it is is I'm super protected. Like she'll block six hours. She'll block five hours for me to use work time to go babysit my grandson. She will block my evenings because I only want to do one social engagement a week. It's not mm -hmm. that I couldn't fill it up with six and everyone happy, but she protects my time. I have an enormous, I take naps. I go on walks. I have an exercise routine that I do three times a week with a workout guy. I mean, I'm protected. So yeah, you could try to get on my calendar. Yeah, it might take six months, but that's just because 
I'm protected, not because I'm busy. Well, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's so crucial to be making these conscious choices about how you want to use your time because, I mean, you could fill it with all kinds of things that are not meaningful and and drain your energy that way. Yeah. Yeah. This is a little bit of a, a segue, but the one of the things that I'm curious about is um, how do you approach your marketing in terms of the impact that you want to have? I mean, we, we touched on it and you talked about impacting people through persuasion and bonding because that's the effect of storytelling. But are, is there... Is there a way that you talk about your marketing as as a in a consciously in terms of the the impact that you want to have, or is it something that you kind of keep as a foundational thing that isn't necessarily explicit? That's an interesting question because we've 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 done a lot internal work on what is the voice and what is the tone and how does that map to our values? So, like. Um, my marketing gal recently requested like, oh, we want to do this article about that. And and it wasn't, it wasn't tied enough to an interesting new insights. So, so in, in my work, I talk about the mentor. So many times the presenter thinks they're the hero because they're, they're a central figure. They're talking a lot and they think mm-hmm. they're awesome. But in reality, the presenter is the mentor to the audience and the audience is the hero. Mm-hmm. So all of our marketing is supposed to come across the way a mentor does. Usually they're humble, they're helpful, they have a magical gift or a special tool, or they help you get unstuck. And so we use that as a lens. So if it's kind of like, oh, I just want to throw this thing out there just to feed the channel. No, we are not going to do that. Like Mm -hmm. I also had a hard time with, well, we got to create all this stuff just to help our SEO results, which I get. (laughs) And so now we have these like, you know, 3000 word pieces that help our SEO results. It's like, okay, that's different than thoughtful marketing. So now it's like, let's classify the search terms we want. And then, but, but, and that's fine if that happens every 10th post, but I really need every single thing that comes out to be from a stance of a mentor that we're helping someone get unstuck. Mm. And so is that, is that kind of what you were asking? Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, you make such an important point of uh, it can be, we can get caught up in tactics when it comes to marketing and lose sight of, is this really in alignment with your values, with the impact you want to have and uh, just feeding, just throwing content out there in order to keep you at the top of the SEO oh. results is, is not, not, at least not the focus of of effective or learning marketing. We're not there yet. I mean, we had a new writer and we're working on a strategy. So I would say the last year has been a a scramble. It's not quite representative of what it's going to be. So, but still it, it, and that's part of the problem is it doesn't align with the mentor mindset. Mm. Well, and all of us are all evolving and, and uh, moving into greater alignment. So it's the consciousness that makes the difference. So you can move in that uh-huh. direction. Yeah. Is there, is there a, a, uh, an issue that you've bumped up against where your values have really been challenged and that um, you've really had to struggle hmm. with? How do I, how do I stay in alignment? I mean, maybe that example you just mentioned is, is one, but uh, I, I always think it's helpful to hear a bit of process around this because it's so tempting to look at your company and say, wow, they're wildly successful and I could never do that. I think, you know, to share a story um, is always helpful to give people some insight. 
Yeah, I think that, so my husband and I have established our own values, say, in how we run business or our beliefs around finances. So one of our operating principles, I was telling you we have four of them, and it's Thrive Financially. Mm -hmm. Well, everyone has different belief systems about money. And to me, thriving financially also means that the clients all got what they felt like they got the value they paid for or whatever. So, you know, sometimes it gets challenged because people will contest. I didn't think it was that valuable. I'll be like, great, then don't pay it. Or, or like, I don't sue people for, I should probably shouldn't say that out loud, but it's like, I don't go after people if they're not paying because they didn't think there was clearly a misunderstanding of sorts. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so I think as far as when it's challenged, I think the one the one value that I've questioned whether I can continue to stay committed to is belong. And and what's happening right now, it's very difficult to find talent in the Bay Area. It's very difficult to scale because we are using our own I'm a small business medium business and we use our own money to invest. I don't have some investor and I could just blow through millions of dollars with no accountability. I just mm-hmm. don't have that. Right. And so we distributed our workforce. We have about 40 out of the 110 now that work remotely. So my questions that keep me up at night is, how do people that I don't rub shoulders with every day still have a place where they belong? What Do I want to keep getting big and then when someone that we love who's maybe been here we had a guy that had been here 16 years um, and he moved into a startup and we cried. I mean, we openly cry when someone leaves the family. Now they stay alumni. We don't vilify them. But then it's like, does this hurt too bad? Do we want to not make this a place where people belong because it hurts too bad when they leave? And then I to go back deep into my heart and say, no, I always want this to be a place where people belong, you know? And so, I, I mean, there's been nuances to the, to the challenges like that. Um, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. That's such a powerful value that you hold and, and to continue to be aligned with that, even though it, it's painful when someone does leave. I mean, the, yeah. ben- the benefit that people gain from feeling like they belong somewhere, it's so rare and so valuable in a work environment. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the thing that I always ask um, as, as part of these interviews is if, if, you had, um, if you had to give someone advice or share an insight about, you know, how can I positively affect what the world that I operate in, how can I have impact? What would you, what would you say to them? You know, I think there's this, there's, I think everyone can have impact. I think every single person was made to leave some sort of mark on the earth, like some story that needs to be told, some passion that needs to be unleashed, something, you know? And so I hear people say, oh, well, I don't, I don't do important talks. I just do like everyday talks or whatever. Like, well, if you don't do important talks at work, you should be doing important talks in your personal life. There should be something, whether it's helping the city or helping end poverty or helping give back, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody has something that they need to do. So I think that there's this, I went through seasons. I don't know if everyone's like this, but I got to a season where you start to measure success differently. It's like, for some reason, I just, strove and strove and strove um, 
the driving factor there was me wanting to hear my mom say she was proud of me. Mm. Then I hit a day where I was like, okay, mom's not ever going to say that (laughs) to me Mm. Um, because of narcissism and mental illness and all kinds of stuff. But then I had to be like, well, then why am I, what's driving me so hard? And, and is it healthy? You know? And then it was, then I went through this season where it's like, you know, I feel like I've I've reached success and now it's time for me to give back or give it away or something. So I feel like I waited too long to give it back. I feel mm. like I was building. I mean, when you're building a business, it's hard. And I giving back was not front of mind for me. So it wasn't until I hired the right team, got the right people in place and relieved myself of some burden that I could actually have the mind space to do that. So, but, you know, I mean, my work did impact the world. So I'm not saying I wasn't making a difference, but I think more consciously giving back of time time um, because we always gave money but when you give time I think it's a fruit that you're more committed um so Mm -hmm. yeah everyone if if they don't have something that they're passionate enough about to learn how to be strong communicators then I think they need to go and find that thing and work on it well, and I think that things do shift as you go through career. I mean, our model for success is you just work like crazy, focusing on one particular thing. And, and uh, it's, not, um, it's not everyone who kind of starts off with this kind of perspective about giving back. I think that you have given back in so many ways by doing the things you did to grow your business, like writing books, and it certainly mm-hmm. impacted me. And, and I know a lot of people um, by sharing different ways that we can communicate ways that we can have impact. So um, mm. yeah, I, I think it's a, it's such a multi-layered thing and it's uh, it's, it's kind of our consciousness that shifts over time that, yeah. that plays a role in that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree that something definitely, I mean, I feel like I was doing it the whole time, but I wasn't consciously amplifying it and and doing enough of it so Mm -hmm. yeah well i i so appreciate what you shared about the growth of your business and your own growth in the process and uh, aren't they aren't they always so intimately linked (laughs) and uh i i really appreciate you um you sharing that and how you've reinvented your business so many times and the the powerful effect that that your storytelling is having Mm-hmm. So thank, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today and for uh, for sharing those stories. If if people want to have uh, want to be in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you, Nancy? Yeah. So I have um, Duarte.com, D-U-A-R-T-E, which is our website, and then I have a Twitter handle at Nancy Duarte. My Facebook page is going to become public soon, so they could be watching for that. And then uh, I do connect to anyone who connects me on LinkedIn, so that's another way to get a hold of me. Great. Well, thanks so much for the work you Thank do in you. the world, Nancy, and um, and for for this conversation. I've enjoyed it so much. Awesome. Thank you. Join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.